The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Welcome, everybody. And a big welcome for anybody who's walked through the door for the first time. I often reflect, I'm sure a lot of you do, that it's not so easy to walk into a new place and we really appreciate the courage it takes and Common Ground, the staff, the teachers, the whole community, we're learning. Right? It's our aspiration to be a welcoming community for anybody who wants to walk through the door and we realize we're not there yet. It's kind of a humbling thing to be honest about um, and we want to be move in that direction. So please give us feedback. There's a feedback box under the bulletin board. And uh, today, Amal is one of our program hosts and Patricia in the corner. So you can check in with them if you have any questions about the community or check in with me at the end. And we've been taking, taking the first two months here in the fall, September and October to just walk through, think through, like, what is it? Why do I come to a place like Common Ground? Why am I interested and the Buddhist teachings on awareness, the awareness practices, mindful awareness practices. And, you know, one way or, or another, most of us, we've discovered that, I mean, it's sort of silly to say it this way, but the, there is a mind, and I haven't been really that attentive to that fact. I mean, how much of our life have we lived without, I mean, basically being oblivious that there's a mind? and that it's the most relevant thing, this mind. I mean, we take care of our body, we you know, take care of our garage, we sometimes clean the bathrooms, but to sort of realize that there's a mind that might need some caretaking or some training or some work doesn't occur to us very often. And then uh, when we do realize there's a mind, we often immediately think we know how to take care of it, right? That sort of mansplaining <laughs> tendency. Oh, yeah, I know what to do with this mind. You know, so we bring kind of this fixed idea. We don't actually, well, let me pay attention. Let me really get a sense of what, it, what a mind is, what a heart and mind is. Let me take a fresh look. Let me see what other wise people over the centuries have said about taking care of the mind, training the mind, developing the mind, right? So that I maybe get out of my box, my fixed ideas, and maybe actually start to have a really healthy relationship with the mind. And this is really, you know, that's where the Buddha was coming from, that there is a mind and it can be trained. So however toxic our mind is, defensive, biased, closed down, you know, whatever our particular patterns are that have been conditioned in, it's not personal, but there they are, our habits, our personality, right? No way around it, except to acknowledge there is this personality, there is this mind that has been conditioned or trained in its particular way, some good, a lot of it not so helpful, the way it's been trained. But whatever's been wound up, whatever's been trained, can be untrained. 
right? It's not over. Just because it's this way now, it can continue this mind to be trained, to be developed. It's just a matter of understanding how that happens and being persistent, you know? And even if we don't have a clue, we can just begin by paying attention. Oh, this is how that pattern is getting fed, getting reinforced. Now I understand why I'm defensive all the time or I'm controlling all the time or I'm judgmental in these ways, critical in these ways, closed down in these ways. Because we see in real time by observing the mind, observing the heart, how that pattern's getting fed, reinforced. Okay, sure, if I've done this in this way, for 60 years, then I end up with a conditioned mind like this. That makes sense. Or even culturally, if we do that. Patrice is going to be teaching a course on Tuesday late afternoons coming up in a couple weeks, maybe one week. Is it next Tuesday? 15th. On these beautiful qualities in the Dharma practice called the paramis, beautiful qualities of the heart, that how the culture can express these beautiful qualities and then support us internally in our hearts, how it works both ways, how the qualities we develop in our hearts affect the world and how the qualities we together embed in our institutions and cultural, you know, just cultural habits, how they support, especially young people being raised to have those qualities in their hearts. It goes both ways. Like, a Dharma community like Kamagam, we try because when we come here, generally we bring our best selves, you know, our best habits. So then together we can remind each other, oh yeah, we really do value taking a deep look at this value of non-harming. How am I participating in cycles of harm in my family, in my own relationship to myself and in the wider world? How can we become sort of good citizens. And we use the institution, you know, this place, to remind yourself what's possible. And the institution, I mean, ideally, the institution models a lot of those beautiful qualities that we would like to have internally. Like, I mean, one of the things we try to do at the center around generosity, by not having any fee for any of the programs, right? I mean, we have the normal cost uh, of any organization this size, but we run in this other way because we, we really want to highlight this value of generosity, freely receiving, freely giving, in a way that makes us all happy. And so I know that's not easy. It's not easy in my life either to live with that feeling, that quality of generosity, but the institution can be a reminder for us in this little way. So, you know, with this process, this training the mind to be intimate, from the Buddhist point of view, this is an essential first step because there's not really any good learning without what we call samadhi, this being present in some kind of continuous or sustained way, being open, soft, relaxed, and interested, like the mind that's capable of comprehending, not cognitively thinking things through, but comprehending in a more direct or immediate way, like, 
seeing and feeling in this embodied in this embodied life, seeing and feeling how it is unfolding, how this life, how our experience is unfolding in a lawful or conditional way. Oh, this is how it is. This is how these habits get fed, these habits get starved. This is how this mind has come to be. This attitude of mind has come to be. This is how this new chapter, this new quality of mind can get established and reinforced. So we're really understanding the like how to shape this mind and then in a bigger way how to shape the world around us, how to participate or engage the world around us that we live in. Because it is lawful, but we tend to be this sort of, imagine at least that we're this helpless victim, even helpless victim of our personality, helpless victim of everybody else's personality, helpless victim of the world we live in. And so then it just feels appropriate either to close down or to complain or to blame You know the different expressions of giving up, of not taking responsibility for what can be done. So uh, this is important to emphasize because there you know, there is, I don't know if it's a shadow or what, but there is a misunderstanding in sort of Buddhist scenes, Buddhist organizations, that the path is passivity. Well, stuff is the way that it is. I'll be aware of it, but what can I do? You know, and it's like, it seems like it might be emphasizing a giving up, but it's actually an empowering practice to be mindful. So even though a lot of what we're training the mind to do is to be open and receptive and to feel and see things as they are, it in no way puts a break on responding or engaging. It's actually creating the context for engagement. What is the appropriate context? Let's just take an intimate relationship with a partner, a lover, a dear one, a kid, a child in our life. Right, somebody that we have a real relationship with. I mean, is it healthy to respond, to have that relationship coming out of a fixed idea or coming out of some sense of being disconnected? Probably not. Is it helpful, you know, not to have a fixed idea but to have this exposure? Like, have you noticed, like, when you're with another person, and you're not in your fixed idea of who that person is or what your agenda is with that person, but you're just in that soft, open, vulnerable, feeling, sensitive place, well, you actually have a real, at least for a few moments until we get defensive or fall back into our habits, we actually have a real moment. Now, I know this isn't easy. It isn't easy for me. That's why I have a cat. Because I can practice, right? Being open and undefended and not in my agenda of who I want the cat to be or what I need from the cat. See, cats are better than dogs because they're not going to give me what I want. Dogs, their whole evolutionary trip. I'm not a dog person. I mean, I I didn't grow up with a dog. I like dogs, but I I never really had an intimate relationship with a dog. And... uh, but they seem like they know how to give, right? Because they know how to read humans. They've sort of evolved to read 
humans. I probably cats can do it too, but they're just not that interested <laughs> <laughs> for whatever reason, right? And those of us who <laughs> prefer that humiliation <laughs> have cats. But anyway, it's like there are safer and less sa- safe places to learn how to be undefended, how to be open. So again, this can be the shadow, like people think, oh, because Mark sits in the morning or because Mark goes on retreats or you know, tries to have a relatively simple life um, that somehow he can't handle you know, life or that he's afraid of life or that you know, the, he's teaching or the Buddha is suggesting that we avoid life because it's just too much and it's going to trigger parts of our personality that we don't want to see, so we're just going to hide or crawl into a hole somewhere and hope that it gets better. But that's not the point. It's really a, we're learning how to be fierce. We're learning how to be open, unafraid. We're learning how to be real and natural. But we realize that that learning happens best when we're successful at it, right? If, if I put myself in a really difficult situation, you know, where I'm hanging out with people with different political views or whatever it might be that might be provocative for me, I might not be that successful. And I might reinforce the habit of being judgmental or being closed down, writing those people off or doubting myself or any number of not so helpful emotional, psychological patterns. But if I start training, right, this is a training for that hour a day, for a couple weekends every year, maybe a week even, where I'm doing that more formal practice. So then I take it on the road. And sometimes on the road, like, it's relatively easy, like I suggested at the end of the sit, you know, to be that sensitive, that unfixed, like no plan or the mind, the thinking mind, isn't fixed on a plan of who I am, what I should do, how this situation should unfold. But rather I'm taking refuge in being open and sensitive, really feeling and letting the response, what I say, what I don't say, what I do, what I don't do, really allowing that response to come out of the sensitivity, the exposure itself, instead of some fixed idea. So I encourage you to find places to practice this until you really deeply value that exposure. And so then you know you value it when you are in a dicey, intense, new kind of situation and you notice that your new habit is to get sensitive instead of to get defensive. Like I need a plan and I need to believe my plan is right because it's too scary to, one, not have a plan, and two, not think my plan is right. right? I mean, imagine having a conversation with someone who maybe doesn't have good interpersonal skills and has very different opinions. You know how we immediately like have a plan, like, I'm writing this person off. I'm not even going to try to have a conversation with this person. Or I'll just do this sort of move to undermine their views and show them what a fool they are. Or whatever. But imagine like not needing a plan. Like when, wherever you're going to go next after this, doing that without a plan. But, or you could say the plan is, I don't have a plan except 
I'm going to be really open. I'm going to be really curious. I'm going to be really aware, like, how out of habit I put armor on and how I can train, I can create a new habit to trust that it's okay not to have armor. And, you know, a lot of people will say when I, yeah, they hear something like I just said, like maybe I don't need armor. Well, you're going to let people walk all over you then. They'll take advantage of you if you don't have any armor. But, you know, not having armor, we're going to really feel when someone's being aggressive or when we're in harm's way. And we'll, we'll feel it sooner when we don't have armor on. And we'll say, you know what, I can't have this conversation with you. I don't feel safe. That's like a really real thing to say, you know. Or if that's not, sometimes that, even that's not appropriate, and then we'll say, I've got to go use the bathroom. <laughs> you know, we'll get ourselves out of the situation one way or another because, because precisely because we're sensitive, we realize, I don't really, I can't sense any skillful way to engage the situation right now. I don't see how, I don't sense, intuit, any good coming out of this engagement. So why would I stay engaged? Only because I have a fixed idea that I'm someone who doesn't back away or this person deserves to be put in their place or whatever, you know. But we don't, we don't have to. We can be really nimble when we stay in, when we move away, how we show up. That can be this very alive thing, not coming from a fixed place, but from an exposed place. Like maybe intelligence, social intelligence, emotional intelligence, political intelligence, you know, whatever kind of intelligence, like even the intelligence between people in a partnership, married or whatever. Maybe that intelligence isn't something we sort of read in a book and then hold to. Maybe it's really about, I mean, we might read this in a book, but it isn't about fixing. It's about like this idea that maybe I don't have to be fixed. Maybe I don't have to be tight. Maybe there's real strength in being open and sensitive. But we have to build our confidence in that because it doesn't really work if it's just an idea. We have to check it out over and over and over until we start having real confidence. And generally, when we can, we start with situations that are less intense, less confusing. That's where, where it's often good to build confidence. But we don't get to choose. Like sometimes intense stuff just shows up why wouldn't we use what we think would be helpful, right? So do your best to bring it in there, but be forgiving when you end up catching yourself in that defensive stance, you know, going to some fixed view. And then if we have good Dharma friends, they point it out, seems like you're really attached. Seems like you're caught in a fixed view. I mean, they have a way of reflecting that back to us. What happens? What are you feeling now? Is it okay to feel that? Right? Maybe start there. How does the situation look different when you're willing to feel how vulnerable you feel right now or how angry you feel right now or how defensive you feel right now, how needy you feel right now? Because 
this is our intelligence. Like a lot of us, you know, it's different. Maybe culturally, we can we get conditioned differently depending part in part on our gender and class and maybe any number of those spectrums of difference. But we all have programming on what we do with emotions, right? And basically, very rarely have we been trained in our upbringing to have a very intimate and honest connection with emotion. But emotion is just an informational system, right? It's just, it's, it's kind of a blunt system, but really powerful system. And so why wouldn't we want to use that, right? We just need to, but we can't use the emotional system if we're afraid of the different feeling, emotional feelings that we have. Like, oh no, that feeling, that emotion is not allowed. You know, I'm not the person who, who is consciously needy. So when I'm feeling needy or lonely or whatever, I can't let that kind of come into the, moment. I can't acknowledge that honestly. Or whatever your version of the emotion that you're not allowed. I can't, some people, you know, it's like, I can't be angry. I'm not allowed to be angry. That's not allowed. So what do we do with that emotion? Right? And then you can imagine why we get so neurotic when we've got this informational system that's evolved through, you know, how many millions of years of evolution to be emoting beings, and yet we somehow don't know what to do with it. And so the practice really opens that all up. Like again, this this can be a shadow in Buddhist practice because there's a real um, respect for equanimity, which by the way is an emotion. And so we just assume that everything else is sort of like off the table, not useful, not appropriate. But equanimity is the emotion that knows how to let everything move. All the other emotions move. It's like, yeah, I want it to move because it's got some information. It's a feedback system. So when I'm feeling envy, when I'm feeling jealousy, when I'm feeling rage, when I'm feeling delight, when I'm feeling gratitude and kindness, you know, all these different qualities of the heart, why wouldn't I want to know what I'm feeling when I'm feeling it? I'm just not confused. I'm not imagining that uh, that movement of emotion is more than what it is. It's just this feeling, sometimes really strong feeling, sometimes refined or subtle. And so it's like this is how we learn how to be skillful. We, it like, we're sort of allowing everything to be on the table of the present moment. Bring it on. Bring it in. Let it move. It's got to be given permission to move because we're not really feeling it if we're restricting the movement. So we have to learn how to feel safe enough to let everything move because if everything isn't moving, it's not being felt. So I'm encouraging us all like in places that are relatively simple, relatively safe, to kind of drop armor, drop control, needing a fixed stance, and put all of, you know, all of the emphasis on being exposed. <laughs> there's, there's this particular band every year, sometime between late September and early October, where the, the teacher gets the light. <laughs> yeah. 
<coughs> it's all that practice I do. <laughs> Being neurotic. I, when I came back, I did a long retreat once in Burma and Miramar, and it was it was a beautiful and very difficult five month retreat. And I came back and I saw a good friend of mine um, after, and she says, "You have the patina of suffering." <laughs> I thought, oh, that sounds just right. (laughs) There is something about, you know, we do get a little bit of a glow during really difficult times, and to whatever degree we're really inhabiting it, we're not like overly dependent on being in denial, right? Like we see that sometimes with our good friends, family members who are going through a really difficult divorce or cancer or, you know, difficulty with their children and I mean things that just totally strip away everything in their life and on the one hand they they can kind of appear like they have a little bit of a glow they're and a little porous like whatever armor they'd been mostly living their life with has been totally worn away and uh, it's not like anybody would choose to have to go through that stripping away process but if we have to go through one of those sort of periods of time, which we probably all will, you know, each in our own way, then we want to use it for this kind of purification to realize that actually, although it made so much sense given how we've conditioned to be like to tough out life or to try to make life bend to our will, it's really good, one way or another, to learn that that's not going to happen. And that the more skillful way, it's more like uh, one of my early teaching teachers said, you know, learning how to surf. And where it's like you can't muscle the wave. You have to learn how to ride the wave. And I had a good uh, friend, colleague, uh, we both taught at the school in Oakland, this elementary school in Oakland, and she was a two-time women's Bronco champ. And, uh, you know, it's the same thing. When you watch people riding those horses, you know, they're, they're not going to be stronger than the horse, but they can attune to the wildness or the strength, the movement, right? And they can learn to kind of dance with that wildness, and it's the same thing in our lives. But again, we have to build our confidence. Where are those places in my life where I feel safe enough to relax and to explore that terrain of being undefended and exposed and vulnerable? And a lot of you might imi- initially think, oh, I'll do it with my partner. But that might not be the relatively easy place. right? It might be easy with a more neutral person like a cashier <laughs> and to have that 30 second or two minute interaction where you're really soft and remember this embodied because being aware of the body will be a really useful part of this practice like really soft in the body just dropping muscular armor can be a really uh, useful start where you're just can I be in this relationship for 90 seconds and be really soft in the body? You know, bend your knees, 
Release the gut. Soften the eyes, the jaw. Notice if the hands have unnecessary tension. Right? So just that physical stance. Or like you're having a casual conversation at a party or, you know, with somebody that you're, you know, happen to be sharing space with. It's not, you're not going to be in relationship with that person for a long time. And just to be in for a few seconds at a time, completely unfixed. And you can try it right now because this may be a relatively safe time to do because you're not, even though we're all in a social environment, you're in a relatively safe place not having to interact, right? Although we will open it up in a few moments. But just like, well, what would it be like to be real, like really aware of what's moving in my heart, my mind, my body, but not putting any unnecessary brakes on? Not relying on tension or fixedness any kind of psychological armor, emotional kind of control, but just like letting things move. And we use that word softness, and that may not work for all of you, but you'll get the sense of this practice, of this training, and you'll grow to love it, right? To kind of want to check it out in more and more places in your life. And initially, for most of us, when we're alone, it's a really good time. Like, I mean, just that started out like, honey, why are we tight? You know, do I need to be tight right now? Do I need to be afraid right now? And just ask yourself, you know, you're in the bathroom doing your stuff. Why am I rushing? I'm just brushing my teeth. I don't need to rush. Or like just these sort of ordinary things where there's a little aggressiveness when we're chopping the vegetables. Like, (laughs) yeah, it's sort of that sort of unnecessary armor or fixedness or tightness. And it's like part of the fixedness is this isn't really what my life is about, but I have to do this so I can get to what my life is about. Right, And that's a kind of subtle, but it's a kind of violence on the moment. And we can just practice being in this undefended space, like maybe this is all there is for me, this moment. So I'm going to be really, I'm going to really feel. I'm going to really show up. I'm going to be here in these moments of my life. That the habit in the mind is to want to reject or rush through or manage but I, I can have another relationship with it. And this is how we slowly build confidence. And we'll come back to this next week, but I want to save about 10 minutes. It'd be nice to hear from some of you what you've been learning in your own practice. You can say your name. We do record on Sunday morning, so the talks and discussions get up on the Internet. Um, this is Helen, and I'm going to try to stay soft while I say this because I can sense that... I might look foolish, you know, that comes up. Um, I have a question about being with difficult sensations. I do it two ways. One is, you know, like anxiety comes up, I just feel it, drop the story and feel it, feel it, feel it, feel it till it goes away. And the other one is 
I kind of go, who was anxious? Um, this anxiousness is not me or mine. It's just a habit going through my mind, habit, energy, nature, not me. Um, it's impermanent. But sometimes when I do it that way, there is such distance from it. I've done it sometimes with sensations with my body when I'm not feeling well. And I can almost be, my body's over here and the awareness is over here. So I'm wondering if that's going a little too far. I kind of like it when that happens. I appreciate your honesty. Because <laughs> we do like it. It's, and this is uh, Helen's comments really reveal that we can turn anything into defensive maneuvering, including these Dharma teachings from the Buddha, these teachings about the nature of the mind, how to be skillful with the mind. We can turn them into another more subtle way of protecting ourselves. Like uh, like that question, how, I forget how you phrased it, Helen, that second question about is this me or mine? How did yeah. you? Um, well, first, who is angry, maybe? Yeah. And um, this isn't me or mine. This is just, uh, I almost pretend it's happening to somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, that could be done in a way that really works, but it could also be uh, sort of a shooting, like, no, no, no. You're not me or mine. You're this independent, impersonal phenomena as a way like of protecting myself as opposed to, you know, that interest. And again, it's just language. What's really important is the motivation. Like my motivation isn't to get uh, away from the pain. My motivation is simply to want to understand the way it is. I just want to understand. I'm tired of needing the... to be the person who has to run away or needs to fix, right? Or even needs to be safe. I just want to understand what this is. Is this a problem? So there's some pain, right? That the tendency is to resist it or get some distance. Is this, what is this pain? Is it a problem? Is it personal? So the way we ask the questions, like if we're going to use those kinds of questions, you have to ask yourself, is the question drawing the heart in to the moment or is the question separating? And it's kind of a subtle energetic thing that we all learn to read. Am I getting closer, more exposed, or am I separating out? Now, it's okay to turn away because we're going to turn away. So, But the from our practice point of view, we want to know we're turning away when we're turning away. This is a little too intense. I don't really know how to be skillful with this. What else can I be aware of in this moment? What's happening here in, the, in my life, in this present moment, right, that I think I can actually be intimate with, undefended with? Maybe I'll be aware of hearing. Maybe I'll get up and take a walk. Right? and just be with the walking and the hearing of the sounds, or go walk outside. So that we're not practicing subtle armoring, but we're practicing being undefended. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, I really notice when I can be undefended is if there's like samadhi, there's um, a lot of space in the mind, and then whatever shows up is really easily, uh, it doesn't... You know, it, it's a peacefulness no matter what shows up. Yeah. But I don't know always how to k- keep that samadhi, you know. 
Yeah, and this is the downside of having people who have a tendency, a, a natural skill towards samadhi, that inner stillness, is it can be used as a way of suppressing the wildness of life. Oh. Yeah. But the, <laughs> but the plus side is... The I love that. Is, yeah. It also makes us more sensitive. So even when we lose the samadhi and we're with a more, have a more ordinary kind of consciousness, ordinary mind, but now we're more sensitive because of the samadhi. So every, just, everything becomes more amplified, the beauty and the ugliness, the difficulty in life. And so then, ultimately, we want to rely on wisdom, not withdrawing to stillness, but realizing it's okay to be in the middle of the intense ride of being a human being. right? Because there's another way, which is not personalizing. It's actually seeing the totality, not from the separate point of view, but being right in the middle of our lives and not personalizing it. That allows us to not need that move of samadhi, that sort of more formal retreating from experience, going to stillness. Well, when you have that stillness and the samadhi, then, you know, painful sensations come up. I mean, they still are there, but they don't push you around. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really good thing to have. When you're in the dentist, and they don't have any Novocaine or anything, it's really good to be able to withdraw the mind into stillness. Or when you're something really big has just happened in your life that's really shocking, it's good to be able to retreat. But we don't want to see it as the only move. We want to be able to come in because life looks different when we're retreated. right? And so in terms of making decisions, we want to be able to come into the raw wild present moment it's still yeah right because we're not paying attention to the pain we're paying attention to the stillness so it gives the mind a sense of distance which is really good because it helps us stay in the game right because i thought more of awakening would be staying in that centered and letting the flow of life go through without getting too involved. I thought that would be more of an awakened mind. No, like the Buddha would do, you know, even the Buddha would have to retreat sometimes, right? He would do his mindfulness of breathing practice or he, you know, the pain was too much and he'd say, could you finish the talk? I'm going to go lie down, right, when he was older. So there are, there are times when, whether it's physical pain or emotional pain, that it won't be skillful to stay right in the middle. And we'll want that skill of turning away, going to stillness, or just leaving the situation, walking away, like I mentioned earlier. But we also want that move of being able to come into the moment and not take personally all that's moving. So there's pain that we're sensitive to, the mind's reaction to the pain, the not liking of it, but we're not confused by all that. There's the person insulting us, the anger that arises, but the wisdom in the mind isn't personalizing that. That seems what I'm talking about. That There's still some samadhi there, enough that it, uh, the energy isn't pushing you around. You can right. be with it, you feel a little bit of an ouch of it. But what but is the cause for that equanimity? There are two causes for equanimity. One is being retreated, 
And the other is not being confused by what's coming and going. One is the wisdom way of developing uh, equanimity, and the other is having stillness as a buffer, a protective buffer. And really, the idea is to have both. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.